So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thetira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad you're here. I haven't told you in a while uh, how much I love you, uh, but I do love you. I'm so glad to be a part of this church family. And I know by, by now you have heard that my mother passed away uh, yesterday, so uh, I felt like the, the best way I could honor, really, my mom was to go ahead and be able to proclaim again uh, the hope that we have in Jesus, because uh, that was her hope. All right. But thanks. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you here in the sanctuary, those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. 
You know, there is a progression that happens whenever anyone becomes a Christian. There's a, a movement, uh, and it's a particularly ordered movement. It starts with rescue and then moves to change. It starts with love and then moves to transformation. It has to be in that order. It's so easy to reverse that. And if you reverse that order, you actually don't just make a small mistake. You have a different religion. Because in Christianity, it's different than in any other part of our lives. In every other area, you work hard, then you get the promotion. You eat your vegetables, then you get dessert. It's always work hard, then reward. But the gospel is different. The gospel says, first you are loved. You don't have to change in order to be loved. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But that love doesn't just stop with rescue. It moves on to change. There's an old adage that says, Jesus loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. I read this this past week uh, in Sam Albury's book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? It's a great little book. But he tells this story in it. He says, some years ago, a friend and I were hiking on a mountain in Snowdonia in Wales. The route was getting busy, so we decided to improvise our own way to the top, which would avoid all the other hikers. At one point, we dropped down onto a ledge, and there didn't seem any way down or back up. I began to get anxious, and I remember saying to myself, if I ever get out of this, I'm never going to do something so stupid ever again, which was ironic because it wasn't the first time I had said something like that. A few years earlier, something remarkably similar had happened on a mountain in England's Lake District. So at that moment in Wales, I needed to be rescued from two things, the ledge and my stupid propensity to get myself into these situations. I needed rescue and change. Without the latter, I would presumably end up on another ledge on some other mountain range in the not-so-distant future. Listen to this now. He says it's not enough to say to God, I wish I hadn't done that. What we really need to say is, I wish I wasn't the kind of person who does that. The good news is that God doesn't forgive us without also transforming us. That's what this message is going to be about, because there's kind of a threefold movement uh, to that change, to that transformation. There's the gospel, the church, and the mission. The gospel is a message for you. The church is a place for you. And the mission is a lifestyle for you. All right, first, the gospel is a message for you. We've been looking at the book of Acts, which documents the early years of the Christian movement that started with a dozen uh, people and went remarkably fast across the Roman Empire and actually changed the world. Changed people changed the world. It always works like that, by the way. Changed people changed the world. I told you a couple weeks ago that Christianity spreads by conversion, always. Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's never been a list of ethics. It's been this conversion through relationship. And let me try to explain it like this. 
Uh, my dad uh, struggled a lot when he was a child. He was the youngest of six, and his dad, my grandfather, died when he was in his 40s, when my dad was only five years old. My dad uh, struggled in school, and uh, understandably, he acted out in school until there was a principal who actually took an interest in my dad. And I have to assume that the principal took an interest in my dad because my dad was in his office so often. But this man, this principal, decided to take an interest in this 11-year-old fatherless boy. He took my dad to the library and introduced him to the world of books and created in my dad a love for learning. He got him a paper route and then taught my dad responsibility and would even help my dad sometimes when the weather was really bad. He would drive his car. My dad still remembers those all these years later, like, I don't know, 75 years later, how this man invested in him. In many ways, that principle saved my dad. That's a conversion of sorts. When a person realizes that the God of the universe has taken an interest in them. When you realize that the God of the universe has taken an interest in you through Jesus, it is something that is so powerful that it has to have an impact on every area of your life. For my dad, if meeting the principal was like the change a firecracker might have. When my dad met Jesus, it was like a bomb going off, the kind of change that happened. One of the reasons we chose the word reimagine when we started to dream of where we felt like God was taking us now is because so often our relationship with Jesus stays within the walls of the church. You spend your week thinking about other things. Then when you come to church is when you think about Jesus. And so when you're at work, you're not any different. When you're at school, you're not any different. When you're at home, you're not a different husband or a different father, a different mother, a different wife. No. But we know that when we look at the Bible, when people really were converted, when they were... They were impacted by the God of the universe grabbing hold of them and loving them, that that would seep into every aspect of their life and every part of them would change and they would be reimagined. Anyway, one of the passages that Brooks read to us was Acts chapter 16. Paul has visited a city called Philippi. And while his, he was visiting, uh, then there are three back-to-back-to-back stories, stories of conversion. And Luke, who writes the book of Acts, chose those three stories out of the hundreds of different stories that he could have chosen. He chose those three stories for a reason. The story of Lydia, who is described as a seller of purple goods. The story of this slave girl who was tormented by an evil spirit and used as a fortune teller. And then the story of a jailer who had beaten Paul and ends up running to Paul and Silas and crying out saying, what must I do to be saved? The reason Luke chose those stories is so that you would know that whoever you are, the gospel is for you. 
But it's not just for you. It's for every single person you know. Let me show you what I mean. Those three people could not be more different. They were different racially. Lydia, the text tells us, was from a city called Thyatira. Thyatira was an Asia minor in what is the modern Turkey. Now, Philippi is in Europe, so she was doing business in Europe, but she was Asian. The slave girl was almost undoubtedly a native of Philippi, so she would be Greek. And then the jailer would be Roman. So you have an Asian, a Greek, and a Roman. They were different economically. Lydia was a seller of purple goods. We know from historians that purple dye was very, very expensive. And the people who dealt in purple clothing were high-end. You got to think Neiman Marcus, right? This was a, a woman who's the equivalent of a CEO in the fashion industry. It appears that even though she lived in Thyatira, she had a place in Philippi, right? So she would be like a, a Hudson person, you know, with a winter home in Naples, Florida. The slave girl was being trafficked. She was being used by men to make money for them. She had no control over her economic means. She was being used as a commodity. In many ways, you'd have to compare her to a young teenager being trafficked in inner city Akron, inner city Cleveland. And then there's the jailer. The jailer is just a normal guy. He's a blue collar guy, probably with a mortgage and a couple of kids and was a part of a bowling league or whatever. He is, he is Kaga Falls all the way. So you have this wide spectrum of people represented economically from the incredibly wealthy to the incredibly poor and in between. So they were different economically, but not only were they different racially, different economically, they're also different spiritually. That Lydia, it says, she was a worshiper of God. She was a good person. She was trying to do the right thing, but she was missing something on the inside, but no one could tell that from the outside. Everybody thought she was all together. The slave girl, she was tormented spiritually. She was soiled, and she knew that. And she had an understanding of spiritual things, and she knew she was on the wrong side, but she had no way of getting onto God's side. And then the jailer, he seemed disinterested. He wasn't looking for anything spiritual, not until a crisis happened. And then he decided to cry out. Do you know what this means? This means that whoever you are, wherever you are on the spectrum, the gospel is for you. Wherever you are on the racial spectrum, on the economic spectrum, on the spiritual spectrum, Jesus has come for you, but not just for you. It means that Jesus has come for your CEO and Jesus has come for your plumber. Jesus has come for your doctor and your neighbor and your Uber driver. Because this, this is true. The gospel is either true for everyone 
or it's not true at all. The gospel is either true for everyone or it's not true at all. So that first part of the movement that happens when somebody becomes a Christian is you realize that the gospel is a message for you. The second is that the church is a place for you. The church is a place for you. I had two passages read by Brooks. The first is Acts chapter 16. And that's where uh, Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer all become the very first Christians in the whole city of Philippi. The second passage that I had him read was from the letter that Paul writes to the Philippian church. And we call it the letter to the Philippians. And you see that that's always what happens in the book of Acts. There's a basic pattern and a rhythm. Paul goes to a place. A few people come to know Jesus. Paul leaves. And the next thing you know, there's a church. And we know that because one-third of the New Testament was Paul writing letters to these churches. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, all cities. The city of Corinth, the church there in Corinth, the city of Ephesus, the area of Galatia the city of Philippi, the city of Thessalonica, all these cities. This is why we are so passionate about church planting. We haven't always been, but we are now because we see it right here in Scripture that this is the way it works. This is the way the world was changed in the first century. And so that's why we are passionate about the two churches that we started this past year, Wingfoot and Goodyear Heights, and then Story Church up in Mayfield Heights. That's why we're passionate about our church planters here now with Ray Byrne and, and Josh Hibbard, who will start churches in 2021 in Canton and in Shaker Heights because there's this pattern. Listen, this is true too. There isn't a single reference to a Christian in the New Testament without a church. Christians always connect with other Christians because the church is the soil where you grow. And if you are not in soil, then you will not be able to grow very well. And the church is a place where you belong, where you serve, and where you grow. And let me show you uh, in Philippians chapter 1, start, starting in verse 3, it says this, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. What do you think Paul was remembering when he remembered the people in Philippi? Well, he remembered Lydia coming to that moment where her eyes lit up and she realized she had found the things she had been missing her entire life. No matter what of all of her success, she had finally found Jesus. And it says that Lydia was baptized, right? And that's always the move. That's always what happens. When somebody comes into this relationship with Jesus, when somebody experiences conversion, they get baptized. If you have come into a relationship with Jesus and have not been baptized, you have to get baptized because that's what it says. And then he must have remembered the slave girl being tormented and then him breaking the bonds, watching her be freed up from all that tormented her and finding the one that loved her enough to forgive her and wash her clean. And then he remembered the jailer, the jailer who had beaten 
him and then cried out, what must I do to be saved? Paul was remembering them like that. And then it says this in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for your partakers with me of grace. Paul the Apostle says, you are fellow partakers with me of grace. It means he puts himself on the same level with the slave girl who was demon-possessed with the jailer who beat him. And what Paul says is the great equalizer is this, that Jesus loves you just as much as he loves me. There's something about being a part of people in a church when you realize that Jesus loves them as much as he loves you, and he loves you as much as he loves them, that you and me, we are partakers of the same grace. There is something that happens right then. And finally, he says this, verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that your love may abound more and more. Now, he says that for a reason. What he's saying is this is the way that you know that you are growing. This is the way you know that there's this movement to spiritual maturity. And listen, this is important. Okay, hear me. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how long you've, become a, you've been a Christian. Just because you've been a Christian for a lot of years does not mean you are spiritually mature. It doesn't, it's not related to how old you are. Spiritual maturity always has to do with how much you have changed, how you are abounding in love toward one another. I want you to imagine with me just for a minute what that must have been like. You know, at the end of the, of chapter 16 of the book of Acts, it says that Paul was let out of prison, and then he went to Lydia's house and met with everyone there. Who was everyone? Well, everyone was Lydia and her family, the slave girl, and the jailer and his whole family, because those are the only Christians in the entire city. And it says that Paul encouraged them. What did he encourage them to do? What he probably held them to do is to say, listen, Jesus loves you. Now I want you to love each other. Lydia, this is Sasha. Let me give the slave girl a name. Lydia, Sasha, this is Bob, the jailer, right? You guys need to love each other. Now, I don't know what all the needs were. I can guess, though, a few, that that slave girl, one thing that she needed was a new job, right? She had lost her job as a fortune teller. Who do you think got her job? Lydia, CEO in a fashion industry. Because what she did was to say, oh, it's my job to love this one. This is what I want to tell you. We need to be, you need to be a part of a church it's for no other reason to be sitting around people that you will love more than you love yourself. That you will care for their interests more than you care about your own interests. And the reason I say spiritual maturity is connected to how much you abound in love and how much you change because spiritual maturity is connected to how much, like Jesus, you're becoming. This is what it says in Philippians, the same letter, chapter 2, as it describes Jesus and it describes us. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, 
and of one mind. Listen, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men. Listen, you need to be a part of a church just to serve other people. Part of our vision of Reimagine is we are calling every single person in our church to spiritual maturity. So, the gospel is a message for you. The church is a place for you. And finally, the mission is a lifestyle for you. So we know that in Acts 16, there are three people that have come to know Jesus, right? There's Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer. They're the only Christians in all of Philippi. And then later on, there's a letter written by Paul to a church. And what do you think that church looked like? If you were to walk in that church, what do you, you, I can tell you what I think it would look like. You would see a bunch of very well-dressed people. They would be part of the fashion industry because they would be the friends and associates of Lydia. You would have slaves that were connected to the slave girl. You would have soldiers connected to the jailer. Because what happens, and you can see it all the way through Acts, Paul didn't have time. He didn't tell them, listen, I want to make sure that you go witness to your friends and your coworkers. He didn't have time to do a, like a, a class on evangelism. What he counted on was them being able to impact other people because of the change that had happened in them. All right, imagine you lose 50 pounds, right? And so people begin to come, well, I'll tell you what, let me use something personal. I'll take a risk here. I've probably lost maybe 10 pounds, right? And I have people come up to me and they'll say, and some of you might have come up to me and say, hey, you look like you lost weight. You look good. You know, what have you changed? That's what people want to ask. And I'll tell them, I'll say, well, one of the things I, I changed is that uh, I bought a Peloton bike, exercise bike. And then they want to know all about the Peloton. But I have, so, I have sold more Pelotons. I wish I got a commission. For, I'm probably selling a Peloton bike to you right now, right? And I don't mean to, but it just happens, right? And please don't have that be the only thing you take away from this sermon. In fact, if you buy a Peloton, I want you to think about Jesus every time you ride that Peloton. But if that's what can happen with a Peloton bike, what do you think happened to Lydia when she went back to work? And people saw the difference in it and they said, something's different about you. What's different about you? And Lydia would say, oh, I'm so glad you asked. The slave girl, right? Or, or the jailer, holy cow, the difference in the jailer must have been just enormous. And all the people have been going, what is wrong with you, Bob? What's happened to you? And he would say, oh, I'm so glad you asked. And she's, I have a, a friend who goes here to church. Her name's Caitlin. Caitlin became a follower of Jesus probably five years ago. And as she and I were talking, she was telling me about how she shares Jesus. And she said, it's not really hard for me. And this is what she said. She said, if you talk to me for any length of time, eventually we're going to end up with Jesus. 
And what she was saying is you, you grab any thread in her life and you begin to pull, you will end up face to face with her Savior. That's a lifestyle. Listen, what happened in Philippi is what happened across the Roman Empire. What we were praying can happen here, right here in Northeast Ohio, right here in our community. And it happens because there's a movement. Whenever anybody becomes a Christian, when you realize that the gospel is for you, it's for you, whoever you are, wherever you are in the spectrum, that the church is for you, a place for you to serve, a place for you to grow, a, a place for you to abound in love. And as you do that and you change, then the mission itself will become a lifestyle. Listen, Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, did not have any idea that God was going to use them to change all of Philippi. But he did. Let's pray that God uses us, what he does inside of us, to change Northeast Ohio. Because the truth is that changed people change the world. Let's be that. All right, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you and we are so grateful. Uh, grateful for your love for us. I am grateful uh, that you came that we might have hope, uh, that I might have the hope for my mom and what she is experiencing right now in your midst, uh, for um, the love that you have for us, that you demonstrated to us on the cross. And I thank you that you have called us to change, to be transformed by that love. And I pray that you will help us to make the mission our lifestyle in such a way that more and more people will ask us what has happened to us and we can point them to you. And through that, this whole area might be changed. Thank you. Thanks for being a wonderful Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.